G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is our grand final review, looking at what was an emphatic victory by the Geelong Football Club. Uh, Big winners over Sydney, the Cats winning their 10th VFL or AFL Premiership and their first for 11 years, uh, capping off what has been a superb season for them with their 16th consecutive win, that one coming in the grand final. And uh, we are going to run through this game in chronological order and take it apart bit by bit to break down exactly how they manufactured this triumph as I say, very good evening to my footyology co-host, Mr. Robert Shaw. How are you, Shorey? I'm fantastic. Uh, and uh, we covered it in a different way today. You were live in the front row. I saw you there at the uh, taking a selfie of yourself uh, back at the Melbourne Cricket Ground after a few years of COVID. And uh, I'm sort of isolated in the peace and quiet of my house. So we covered it and... Uh, Unfortunately, Rowan, I only had free-to-air television, which was uh, which was pretty average, to be quite honest, mate. The calling and the interruptions, the lack of uh, continuity, and if that's the uh, picture that is painted for the next seven years for us poor people that free-to-air, um, gee, I hope they get better. Okay. All right. A withering spray to start this uh, review show. Um uh, the Cats, uh, uh, just an awesome performance, wasn't it? Look, Sydney Sydney were poor. There's no escaping that. But I thought uh, Geelong were better than Sydney were bad, if that makes sense. From Buse in the back pocket to Parfit as the medical sub, I can't remember a more emphatic and even spread of consistent performances by... 23 players, Ron. Mm. It was just a superb lesson of football. I know we'll look at um, how so-called bad Sydney were. This was an emphatic display by um, a wonderful team uh, with great tactics and a team that learnt their lesson, rotated their coaches, even though Chris Scott did pay previous coaches and staff a big compliment on the dais, uh, this was a, a remodelling of of Geelong. Well, they've done it very well. They've made uh, plenty of tweaks, plenty of list adjustments, and uh, after 11 years going to the well, it's paid off. Like I said, we are going to deconstruct this game quarter by quarter. Uh, I'll just give you the headlines before we do that. Geelong, 81-point victors, 20 goals, 13, 133 Defeating Sydney, 8-4-52. The goal kickers for the Cats, Stengel, 4. Hawkins, 3. Smith, 3. Cameron, 2. Close, 2. And singles to Blitzarves, to Coning, Duncan, Cam, Guthrie, Parfit, and Selwood. That is 11 individual goal kickers. And for the Swans, just the one multiple goal kicker. That was Warner with two singles to Hayward, McLean, Paddy McCartan, Mills, Heaney, and Papley. It was a demolition, and we are going to go through exactly how the Cats did it. Fasten your seatbelts. Well, let's start at the beginning, and uh, there was drama uh, well before the start when, uh, sadly, uh, even more sadly for those of us, who are close to the kid and his family, Max Holmes was a late withdrawal for the Geelong Football Club. 
replaced in the 22 by Mark O'Connor with Brandon Parfit becoming the medical sub for the Cats. Um, in hindsight, the call, uh, well, I'm led to believe the call was made uh, mid-afternoon yesterday. Um, no getting around this. Max pretty devastated and his family obviously pretty devastated. Um uh, yeah, I won't elaborate on that, but uh, it's it's an unhappy business missing out in the grand final, Rob, particularly when it was so touch and go. And indeed, uh, Chris Scott did say after the game and without getting ahead of myself here, that Max was 100, proved 100% fit. So in the end, it just came down to a choice between, you know, are we worried that it might go again uh, and playing a guy that had no question marks over him at all? They chose a conservative approach. Um, you'd have to say, given the result, it was probably vindicated. I guess you could argue that they won with so much to spare that they might have taken the gamble. But I'll just get your view on that late change. How do you see it? Yeah, it's a very, uh, you know, we'll talk about the other issue later on when we uh, uh, talk about other quarters of this game. But certainly looking at Holmes uh, from what I've read and seen, Rowan, and that's been uh, supported by your information that he he ticked every box, he completed every physical test, but it comes down to some time experience, intu- intuition and also consensus. And it looks like the consensus of a group meeting that we saw out on the ground at one stage there um, between football manager, coach, physios, doctors, players, the whole box and dice decided to look across to Chris Scott, and this is how I reckon it went, you have all the information. You have seen him make the call. I think it comes down, as Chris might say, it was the doctor's call. It might Sometimes it's the player's call. Remember going back, we can go back to Shane Hurd that did everything a long time ago, Rowan, but he pulled out of a grand final when he could have got through because he thought Ken Fraser in 1968, you know, didn't think he was quite right and Carlton beat Essendon by four points. So history, but I think this was a coach decision and it was vindicated. Yeah, it was. Carlton beat Essendon by three points, by the way. Yeah. Um, I was three. That's why I remember it. Uh, Anyway, let's start at the beginning. And uh, look, Sydney, I thought, Right at the start, looked like they were they were on. There were a few smothers, good defensive efforts early. Uh, Tom Hawkins was the first on the board with a point, um, but there wasn't really a sign that it was going to be one way traffic. The first goal, however, kicked by Tom Hawkins uh, a bit over nine minutes into the game, and at that moment. Um, it was sort of Geelong capitalising on their good work. That came from a boundary throw-in and Hawkins was able to manoeuvre Hickey out of the way. Twice? Well, yeah, he followed up with a second goal. Um, I was just going to say before that second goal, the inside 50 count at that stage was 6-1. The Cats way uh, play went on for another five minutes and uh, almost an action replay, another throw-in. Hawkins again outbustles Tom Hickey and uh, the Cats by now are 13 points up about 15 minutes into the first quarter. Were the alarm bells ringing for you then? Oh, certainly. Um, my alarm bells were ringing uh, a lot earlier that, Rowan, when Paddy McCartan went to the interchange bench. Um, and we found that uh, Sydney had selected McLean, for what reason I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, and Reed and Hickey, and McCartan. So there was top, no matchup. Top there was no matchup for McCartan. Mm. If you look at that side, and we spoke about this in our preview, Rowan, <clears throat> I think we did a good job in our preview. We had Jack Henry going to Franklin. I thought we had Clark on Stewart, which turned out. So for a couple of amateurs that don't follow Sydney or, or you know, I'm giving ourselves a bit of a wrap up. The other one was Parker head-to-head with Dangerfield. We can talk about that. And, of course, Sydney went with their Stanley, Blixarves. They tried to release Stewart, but actually they were able to release Henry at times. So they were still able to have that loose man, Rowan, and that made it very, very difficult for Lance Franklin. 
Rob Fox thought we'd we'd either have him on Stengel, but he went to Cameron. So that was a good matchup. Did a good job, as we'll talk about later. So I was worried straight away. First game I reckon that McCartan's ever gone to the bench, and the reason he went there, Rowan, is because he didn't have a matchup because he couldn't play on Rowan too quick, he couldn't play on Cameron too mobile, and of course the other McCartan was always going to have Hawkins. So who was he going to play on? Close? No. Myers? No. Stengel? No. On the bench, son. So already you have a problem for Sydney. All right, interesting observation. Well, the Swans needed to find something, at least, uh, you know, get on the board, and that they did through Will Haywood. Uh, really nice right foot snap off the uh, off a contest, a uh, centre in towards goal from Tom Papley. Haywood reading that well, right foot snap. That brought the gap back to seven points. That was about 16 and a half minutes in, but then... The uh, critical period, if you like, Geelong, three goals in the next five minutes. The first of them to Mark Blitzarves, who uh, was able to get free in the forward pocket. Uh, Nice long entry from Paddy Dangerfield. Blitzarves worked into the pocket, able to take uh, with relative ease and then snapped on his left foot. That took it back out to 13 points and then the man who would go on and win the Norm Smith medal was already having a terrific first quarter. And I'm speaking, of course, about Isaac Smith on the wing, but he was really about to make his presence felt with two goals in two minutes. The first running in uh, to an open goal from about 20 metres out. And then the second not uh, will tick over two minutes later, bursting clear out of um some flailing Sydney opposition and from about 30 metres slamming through another one. And that made the margin 25 points. It could have been even worse at the first break. Uh, Brian Myers missing a couple of snaps. Geelong, in fact, could have been, oh, geez, very close to a uh, decisive margin even at the first break. But then you would argue they probably were almost about home free by the quarter time siren when Brad Close marked about 35 metres out. Pretty tight angle uh, pass from Isaac Smith. So he's just dominating at this stage. But a really good kick at uh, by Brad Close, who was really busy and um, strong defensively early on. And the Cats at that first change. Already 35 points up. I'll just give you some numbers uh, for the quarter time break before you sum it up, Shorey. Uncontested marks close to the end of the first quarter were 26-9. The Cats had had, by the first break, 46 more disposals. They'd had 19 more contested possessions by the first change. Inside 50 count, 28 Uncontested ball, 70 to 31. Marks, 35 to 13. Inside 50 marks, five zip. Joel Selwood, the skipper, absolutely outstanding. 12 first quarter possessions, eight to Smith, eight to De Koning, eight to Blitzars. In contrast, the Swans, you mentioned Fox, he was great. Parker, not bad. Haywood, busy. But you had Callum Mills, only four disposals at that stage. Uh, Dylan Stevens two, Goulden, two, McInerney, two. They just couldn't get enough players into the game. 35-point margin at the first break. Danger, 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 Robert Shaw. Yeah, the game was basically all over. I thought 10, 10 scoring shots to one. Uh, you mentioned Selwood. <clears throat> I thought De Koning was leading the – and I'm glad he got a vote at the end of the day. I thought he was leading the um, – the medal at quarter time and and deep into the second quarter. I think his intercept marking and his confidence in his kicking was first class. We know it's midfield medals. And um, as it turned out, Isaac Smith had a great start on McInerney. That was a good matchup, Rowan, but uh, he he was too experienced, too sharp, too smart for him. And uh, throughout the day, as we'll allude to, I think he had three or four. I've got him down for four opponents throughout the day. Selwood started magnificently. Um, you mentioned Smith. And, of course, um, the the lack of possessions from some of the key players of the Sydney side. 
And, of course, uh, they were powerless to stop Tom Hawkins. He's done that all through his career, particularly later in his career, where they sit, they sit the Ruckman back and they really do open up their forward 50 for Tom Hawkins to compete. And while Tom Hickey was the MVP last week and has been a wonderful servant, a wonderful player for Sydney, he was monstered. In some way, symptomatic of how the game went. All right. Well, uh, Geelong well on their way to that flag already by quarter time. Could Sydney somehow claw its way back into this match? Time now to talk about the second quarter. Okay, Sydney needing some answers pretty quickly at the start of the second quarter. Well, the absolute start of this quarter was good for them. They won the first clearance and Buddy Franklin had, uh, well, pretty much his first shot at goal and he hit the post 27 seconds in. Would have given the Swannies the start they needed. Pretty symptomatic of how this day would unfold for them because it was Geelong who ended up getting on the board first and that was via Tyson Stengel who kicked his first goal of the day from about 45 metres after a centre from Jed Buse. Pretty nice kick, this one, four and a half minutes in, and Geelong already now 40 points up. The inside 50 count shortly before Sydney finally kicked its second goal was 25-9. This was shaping up, Rob, as an absolute shellacking. Hayden McLean did manage to reply for the Swans, a uh, pretty um, smart-looking mark, really, almost a one-hand effort in the goal square. Uh, not great defence from, I think it was Reece Stanley opposed to him in that defensive goal square. Nine minutes, that brought the gap back to 36 points. Play then end-to-end. Sydney certainly getting its hands on the football a bit more than it had. But they couldn't make any headway because every time they found a reply, Geelong would just steady things down and then uh, score of its own accord. And that happened again when Tom Hawkins kicked his third goal from a free kick in the back from Tom McCartan, starting to sweat on Big Tom Hawk, getting a bit nervous about him, I think. 16 minutes in, Geelong now 42 points up. And uh, some big names for the Swans just having zero impact. Franklin, one of them. But the other one, and a man who'd kicked five goals in the first meeting of these sides back in round two, Isaac Heaney. Rob, Isaac Heaney had his first touch or first shot, I think, a goal, 18 minutes into the second quarter. Um, Their stars just could not get warm, and that had to be a massive concern for John Longmire. I think they were powerless. I think the one-on-one matchup, um, you were there live. I thought Tui started on Heaney early or picked him up, but certainly it became Kolodashny's role in the one-on-one. This is not so much, you know, Buse had Papley. Uh, we spoke about the other matchups and how they used their ruck work uh, to support the back six. Uh, Clark was going okay. You wouldn't have thought Stewart had a magnificent game, so that that was a bit of a a, a tick for them, but the but Geelong's capacity to share that role and then to release a Henry or to release a Colada- uh, not Coladashny um De Koning just shows you how flexible they are. Um, and once again, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. You were there live, and we we don't know. I I can't work out why McLean played. Mm. I know he played, did he play as a backup ruckman? Surely you wouldn't pick a bloke in case Reed breaks down, Rowan. You can't no. you can't do that. So what was his role as a backup ruckman to go against Stanley and Blixarves, was it? Well, I mean it was a it was a risk, whatever his role was, really, wasn't it? I don't think he'd played for them uh since round eight, was it? And um, that was always going to be a question mark in itself. And then, I mean, you're quite right. He, he really had zero presence on, on the game, up forward or 
uh, you know, in the ruck, um, three hitouts for the game he's had, and he's had four disposals and a goal. That goal in the second quarter pretty much his only impact on the game. So, well, the um, reverse argument, sorry, mate, the reverse argument was what's the kid done? You know, that they dropped. What, what's he done? He only had six possessions the week before and four the week before, hasn't done enough. Um, Wigan McDonald. Yeah, I, I thought that balance was a lot better with him in the side. But what, what, um, uh, watching the TV, what, one of the really perceptive pieces of commentary was from Daisy Pierce, who said in her, in her preview said, grand finals usually come down to moments. It's a mm. great... It's a great commentary. Mm. And one of those moments was, Rowan, you're quite right. They started to get back into it. And even the general commentary was, oh, Sydney have just lifted. There's a bit of a feeling. But then there was a hickey. I know you don't handball. There's a rule, Rowan, don't handball to Ruckman. Yeah. But there was a handball that went to Hickey who did a a, a terrible fumble in yep. the middle of the ground. Yeah. Uh, the resultant piece of play made it way into the John Ford line for Stengel to goal. And I yep. think then it was 7-5 to 1-1. One, one. And then with... Um, you know, that's 12 shots to two. It actually got out to 14 shots to two. And um, and and you're quite right. You went it the other way. I said Heaney had his first touch with 7.30 to go on the clock. I looked at the clock, 7.30 to go. But it wasn't so much about how the one-on-one matchups went. It was a brilliant defence of Geelong, the ability to cover and their pressure. Lance Franklin... Yeah, people say he had a quiet grand final. Mate, he never got a look in. Yeah. They never gave them a look in by their style of game that Geelong played. Well, Ollie Henry, uh, terrific. And uh, you mentioned De Koning. I mean, De Koning, outstanding early. But we spoke in the preview, didn't we, about the amount of attack Geelong now generates from its defence. Um, and, look, it's probably always done that, but there's, it, it's just a more dynamic rebounding defence now, isn't it? And if you're seeing a guy like De Koning able to do that, plus you've got Stewart, you've got Tui, um, Collar Jasny, you know, he, he's had a, a couple of really good games. In oh, the he's, had, he's been terrific, Rowan. He's a terrific final series. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, their, their defence is absolutely outstanding and it's always been good. Um, and the, you know what? Their forward line's always been good too. The defence got the kudos, the forward line didn't, but I thought their defence really went to another level again in the back half of the season and particularly during the finals. Now, um, Sydney's conclusion to the second quarter, arguably its stronger, strongest period of the game. Uh, I mentioned Tom Hawkins' goal making the difference, 42 points. Heaney had that first shot for the Swans. They did get a few more shots after that. Their next goal came courtesy of Callum Mills, who was starting to work his way into proceedings. Chad Warner, along with Robbie Fox, clearly the standout oh. for the Swans. He uh, he really busted a gut trying, young Chad, and uh, a, a good effort by him. This was a, a solo effort. He had about three given goes with teammates. Finally, uh, managed to... Uh, sort of rebalance uh, in mid-stride and uh, centre a kick towards the 50-metre arc where Callum Mills took that mark. This is about 19 minutes into the second quarter and a good shot at goal from Mills from about 50 metres. That brought it again back to 36 points. Warner, that uh, that, uh, goal assist was his seventh disposal of the quarter. Uh, the other notable thing here was whilst DeLong had had 19 more contested possessions in the first term, at this stage in the second quarter, the contested ball was actually level. So they were starting to work their way into it, but they needed consecutive goals. And at this stage of the second term, we'd had Geelong goal, Sydney goal, Geelong goal, Sydney goal. Well, that pattern was about to be repeated because Stengel would bob up with his second goal for the Cats from 48 metres, a nice little pass from Tom Atkins, and that blew it out to 42 points. Once again, Hawkins missing a chance to make it eight goals, and then Sydney with a response 26 minutes into the quarter, just approaching half time. Um, a uh, little chip from Hayden McLean, which Heaney marked, got the difference back 
to 36 points. But uh, they had also managed to put the shutters up on Joel Selwood, who after 12 touches in that first term, uh, late in the second quarter, had only had another one. In fact, he would end up with just two disposals in that second quarter. But very, very ominous, Rob. And we might uh, talk about this. Uh, In fact, we'll talk about this now because Sam Reid limped off at the end of this second quarter. He would be subbed out very early in the piece in the third term. And already it was possible to say that the move of taking the gamble on the injured player, he'd had an adductor strain, had uh, bad uh, backfired pretty spectacularly. Yeah, and just quickly before that, Rowan, um, the Isaac Smith's early form uh, forced a change, and that was a simple swap of wings. The way I saw it, McInerney came to the members' wing and Stevens went on to uh, Isaac Smith. Did did a pretty reasonable job in that uh, period. Um, you, you were right. Uh, Parker and Mills couldn't really get themselves onto the, into the game, and, and it was a fantastic performance by Warner and, and also Fox. In fact, uh, I've just changed, had a sudden change of mind. We'll talk about Sam Reid in the context of a third quarter because that's when he was actually subbed out of the game. So let's just wrap up the second quarter. Uh, Geelong's, well, he did come off, Rowan, and went down the race in the second quarter. He did. We just need the content to fill the third quarter because <laughs> there was less going on there. <laughs> uh, so Geelong yep. still winning the second quarter, but only by a point. It was three goals, three to three goals to Sydney, definitely at least more competitive, but still ominous stats come halftime. The inside 50 count by now, 34 to 19 in favour of the Cats. That had 33 more disposals. They doubled Sydney for hitouts. Clearances were even, which was interesting. Contested ball. Well, the Swans had managed to stem the bleeding, but still a really decided edge for the Cats. 21 contested possessions. Uh, in their favour. Individually, Isaac Smith having a brilliant grand final, 15 disposals, eight in the first term, seven in the second term. Joel Selwood, like I said, held to uh, just the one touch in the second quarter. He was 13 come half time. Blitzarves had 11 come half time, and Paddy Dangerfield, 10. For the Swans, Luke Parker, always busy, 13 disposals. Uh, Warner, 12 disposals. Robbie Fox, uh, a real one of the few winners for the Swans. He'd had 13 to the long break. And Tom Papley, uh, 12 disposals, so busy, but not hitting the scoreboard. Uh, and that pretty costly. Quiet players for the Swans, guys who desperately need to lift. McInerney, just four touches to halftime. Heaney, just three. Buddy Franklin, three. And McLean, two. So a lot of damage going on there in Sydney's forward line. A lot of starvation going on in Sydney's forward line. Geelong going to the long break with a 36-point lead. Could Sydney do anything to reverse the flow of this game? Let's find out now. 36 points uh, at this stage. Sydney would already require the second biggest comeback in grand final history to alter the course of events. Of course, uh, Carlton famously in 1970 against Collingwood coming back from a 44-point halftime deficit. But just once in the history of grand finals gives you an idea how much trouble the Swans were in. They needed everything to go right. Well, fair to say it didn't. The quarter started. It was Geelong attacking. Um, Tom McCartan got his hands to the ball, trying to generate something, launched a run out of defence, giving points for trying something, not being conservative. But unfortunately, he was spectacularly nailed by the desperate Mitch Duncan. And uh, just on Mitch Duncan, I thought he was really good today too. Just a really consistent four-quarter presence for the Cats. This was a highlight for him. Beautiful tackle. Nailed Tom McCartan brilliantly with the ball. Holding the ball was paid. And from about 20, 25 metres out, no problems converting to Mitch Duncan. That again made it 42 points, just a minute and a half 
into the third quarter, just about done and dusted. And as if the Swans didn't need anything to get more downcast about, it was just after that goal that they finally admitted defeat on Sam Reid. And he was subbed, officially subbed, out of the game, replaced by Braden Campbell, Robert. Yeah, interesting, Ron, because at, three, at half time, what John Longmire would be saying was, okay, these are reasons they'd look at the stats, they'd say these are the reasons and these are the areas we have to prove in. But they wouldn't think they could kick eight goals and bury. So what they would do is set themselves a goal of let's be within 18 points. Let's win the quarter, right, and halve the margin. Just small steps, Rowan. So, um, so all this is set up. They put uh, then they put Goulden. I think it was Smith's third opponent. Goulden went to Smith, so he's had McInerney, he's had um, uh, Stevens, and now he's had Goulden. Uh, you've highlighted another another key moment: pressure, fumble, hesitation. I thought the pressure of Geelong meant that all day Sydney had nothing clean below the knees. They fumbled. Were they rabbits in the spotlight? Well, that is very unfair because they're a team that deserve to be in the grand final, but sometimes the opposition pressure is just superb. Reed subbed out. Well, that should be that should have taken up half the press conference for John Lomar, at least half. I don't know whether you were there, but that's the key. Uh, big, slow, no matchups, uh, and playing an injured player. Like I, I know we go back to our own experience. Um, um, Rioli, you know, in 2000, you did a collarbone, right? Didn't you? That, not playing, you're out, right? Next year, Hurd, Mercury, uh, who else was it? Let's take the chance. We got 20 points up in a grand final. It nearly worked, but it didn't work, Ron, because we got blown out because the team couldn't run. How many times are we going to fall for the injured player? Mm. I... Especially an experienced coach, an experienced group, um, but he couldn't get to a contest round. It was it wasn't as if he broke down it halfway through the third quarter or the last quarter. He could not explode or push off early, and there were a couple of instances where he went to the ground. Um, you've got to be critical of that selection in hindsight, and, and you know, but it wasn't in hindsight. It was there, staring in the face from the first quarter on. Your turn. Was probably a comment about how well either side was placed. So Geelong, yeah, Max Holmes has been really important for them, but they could afford to take a hard line because you looked at their replacements and they were O'Connor being good for them. Parfit has been good for them. You know, they they weren't necessarily going to lose a heap by going one of them over Max Holmes, whereas Reid has been pretty important for the Swans and clearly they felt... Uh, we can't carry Logan McDonald and bring in a Hayden McLean. We, uh, you know, if we're if we're going to have either McDonald or McLean, we need Reed in there, and we've just got to roll the dice and hopefully well, it comes off. Just a moment, just right. Let's think through this before McDonald Reed in the goal square and Franklin center forward. That's been a successful formula. Reed five to seven minutes a quarter in the ruck, so he was picked, Rowan, and pass fit to play in the ruck mm. in that supporting role. So was McLean picked as a forward pocket or a forward in place of McDonald? He must have been. But is he, is he a forward ruckman or a ruck forward? I don't know enough about him. I'll be honest to say that. Yeah. Well, look, it's a, it's a very valid question, I, I guess. And look, down the track, maybe it will be asked to John Longmore. I think in the immediate aftermath of a a grand final, I think the questions tend to be a bit more general, don't they? It's when you sort of pick over the bones of uh, how well, you know, that's what we're trying to do here. So we're asking it right now. I'm not sure a defeated coach in a grand final is going to be too receptive to something that specific or something that is inherently critical of them. That's the psychology of the press conference, folks. You don't want to... Well, uh, 20, 
21 years later, they're still hammering us about playing injured players in the 21. I think it's quite reasonable. And I yeah. think he's he has to be accountable for the decisions made because we yeah. all have been over the years. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm, anyway. I, I agree it's entirely reasonable. I'm just saying the journo that would ask a question like that would probably get the short shift. So it might be the right question. You're probably not going to get the answer you want, however. And the reason Essendon keep banging on about that 21 years ago is because they haven't done anything for the last <laughs> 21 years. So we know the answer to that. And yes, everyone rolling their eyes now, we have managed to bring Essendon into a grand final in which they were not involved. But only was... because it's relative to playing injured players. Okay. And that's my that's my recent experience with it. All right. No, fair enough. It is entirely relevant. But we're talking about pressure. We're talking about mistakes. And yep. what would come hot on the heels of Reed being subbed out is I think this was the moment when you said, well, that is absolutely it. There is no conceivable way they're coming back from here. That was three minutes and 40 seconds in to the third quarter. Brad Close kicks his second goal. How did he kick it? He kicked it because Tom McCartan, who had a pretty ordinary couple of minutes, let's face it, kicked across the goal, trying to create something to Jake Lloyd and close, intercepted that kick and whacked through another goal. And the gap was now 48 points and it was game over, Robert. I'm glad you mentioned some of their back line. You mentioned, uh, I don't think Lloyd and Blakey can escape scrutiny, Rowan, and despite the fact that they've had good years, and we've often seen them 30-plus, free-running, setting up the playoff halfback, they were really exposed for pressure, particularly Blakey. I thought he was um, very scratchy with some of his decision-making, and... uh, uh, they really targeted, and they didn't target them in a like a a Clark versus uh, Stewart matchup. But if if you've got McCartan being defensive, Rampy being defensive, um, who else is there? Uh, you, you need Lloyd and Blakey to be the free freedom runners, don't you? You need them to get going. That was taken out of the game, and the pressure, particularly put on Blakey and his left foot was outstanding. Well, a couple of uh, cataclysmic errors for poor old Tom McCartan. And uh, like I said, I think it was game over at that moment. And thus it became pretty much party time for the Cats over the end of the third quarter, uh, which saw them slam on another four goals just a couple of minutes after the close goal. Isaac Smith had his third on the run. 50 metres out, and you could see the way the Cats were jumping all over him after he kicked that. They knew this was their premiership, and they were going to have a good, well, the best part of two quarters to lap it up and and soak it up. 54 points the margin now. Another five minutes after that, Guthrie kicked a goal after a free kick. Florent nailed in a tackle, holding the ball by close Uh, Guthrie ending up with a free kick and making it almost 10 goals, the difference. And then Tyson Stengel, that man, well, for a short time, Robert, I thought, here we go. It's going to be three goals Stengel again (laughs) for a 10th time. Um, He, uh, a nice little snap after a handball from Paddy Dangerfield. And we'll talk about Paddy Dangerfield because uh, he was terrific today, officially runner-up in the Norm Smith medal um, but it wasn't just about the possessions he created. He had six goal assists today, Dangerfield, six goal assists. I would think that is pretty rarefied air. He was fantastic. So that was one of them to Stengel. And then not uh, three minutes after that third goal by Stengel, he boosted that tally to four and I think the third time he's kicked a bag of four this year. And uh, as a mark, well, gee, it was close to 50 metres out near the boundary. Just a beautiful, beautiful kick for goal by Stengel. And that blew the margin out to 72 points. And we were officially in complete thrashing territory, Robert. 
Yeah, congratulations to Tyson Single. One of the great stories in many, many years to kick 50 goals in the comeback year and to bring up his 50th in a grand final has been outstanding. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned Dangerfield. I thought that was probably one of his best team games, his best all-round games I've seen. I've seen him a lot more brilliant run. We've seen him with high 30s, brilliant, dashing out of the centre square. He was physical. He was... Uh, wonderful in contested situations and he brought teammates I thought it was one of his really good um team performances if not one of his best remembering he had Parker hanging off him for most of the day and he clearly won that duel yeah I, I think his last two games of the year have oh. been his best two games of the year um you know fantastic in the preliminary final and and fantastic yeah. again the grand final and uh, he's killed two birds with one stone, hasn't he? He's won that elusive premiership, and uh, anyone who believes that there's any sort of doubts over Paddy Dangerfield on the big occasion, well, I think you'll be uh, putting that little criticism back in the box because he has been outstanding the last two weeks. So three-quarter time we get to, and it is all over, bar the shouting. Uh, the Cats by now 11 goals, 8 in front, which uh, is 74 points. Uh, Isaac Smith up to 25 disposals by this stage. Paddy Dangerfield up to 27. Blitzar's 19. Duncan, 18. Selwood, 17. Uh, for the Swans, Warner on 17. Fox on 16. Papley, 15. Parker, 14. Lloyd and Rampy 13 each. But uh, very, very slim Picking, so we're just seeing our time in the last quarter. Uh, where the Swans going to completely lay down? Where the Cats going to turn this into an absolute embarrassment? Let's find out what happened. Well, how is this game going to play out? Uh, even at this stage, uh, real danger um, of Geelong racking up one of the biggest thrashings of a grand final opponent in history. Uh, they, of course, hold the record for that uh, 2007 100-point-plus shellacking of Port Adelaide. Wasn't going to get up near that margin. Were Sydney going to completely be humiliated? Well, Sydney, as it happened, ended up uh, almost equaling its score for the first three quarters in the last quarter. They were 4-3 at three-quarter time. Uh, they finished off the game with 4-1 in the last quarter, yet still outscored again Geelong five goals, two in the last quarter. It was pretty much goal for goal all the way through. Warner um, getting the first goal of the quarter. Jeremy Cameron, uh, perhaps one of the few, uh, if the only Geelong player um, lowering his colours on the day. Uh, he got on the board for his first goal. Uh, the Cats made a substitution. Cam Guthrie had tweaked the hamstring. Uh, he came off and Brandon Parfit subbed into the game. Uh, a bit of magic substitution too because he'd only been on a couple of minutes when he was able to stroll into an open goal and get on the scoreboard and uh, that blew it out to what would be the final margin, 81 points. And then really goal for goal, Paddy McCartan thrown forward, uh, got a free kick in the goal square. He scored for the Swans. De Koning, he went forward for the Cats and... Uh, Pretty funny old goal, this one. Paddy Dangerfield slung to the ground, getting the kick away and it landing in the arms of De Koning, who just said, thanks very much, and kicked what was his first career goal, uh, much to the jubilation of his teammates. Warner responded with his second. And then uh, one of the greatest receptions to a goal I think I've ever seen, Joel Selwood, uh, trying a check side as he uh, it was tackled uh, almost 50 metres out, beautiful check side snapper goal, sails through the goals, and, and he was absolutely beset upon by teammates and uh, looked very emotional in the process, Rob. Uh, what a fantastic occasion for him with, by this stage, only about three minutes left on the clock. Yeah, look, it was emotional. I, 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 I've seen a lot of emotion in grand final victories, but between Hawkins and Selwood, uh, look, it'll come out in the next few days whether it was uh, related to Selwood's last game or not or just uh, the build-up of the emotion of waiting 11 years between 
premierships and finally getting it. I'd like to play a compliment, though. I thought Robbie Fox, you mentioned uh, Cameron getting his first goal. He was outstanding. Um, we previewed the game and we thought he would have a very important role. We thought he could have gone to Stengel, but his role on uh, Cameron was outstanding. And, of course, uh, uh, Chad Warner played an outstanding game against the flow. One other thing I want to talk about, and I'm not potting this bloke, uh, Parker had Parker tried, but he got beaten, beaten by Dangerfield. There's no problem with that. He had 15 tackles, Rowan. Now, this is the thing about tackles. They were all sort of reaction tackles, desperation tackles, chasing tackles because they were on the back foot. But the tackles you've got to take into account, and they don't because the stats just put up uh, how many tackles you had. Look at Duncan's tackle, turnover goal. Look mm. at Brad's closest. They're the difference in tackles. One is a positive tackle, one's a reactionary tackle. But, um, yeah, and good on Chris Scott. I didn't think he'd do it because um, uh, he, he showed a bit of creativity. Oh, hang on, hang on. What am I trying to say? De Koning has played fullback all year. And been absolutely outstanding. There is no doubt that was a little bit of a, a Chris Scott license. Let's throw him forward and let's get him his first goal in a grand final. Now, just to your point about uh, reactionary tackles and uh, positive, you know, uh, turnover game, tackles. Uh, turnover. Yeah. Well, here's the, your proof uh, proof in the pudding. Tackles inside fifty. Uh, the final stats on that: nineteen to Geelong. 10 to Sydney. So they've almost yeah. doubled them for tackles inside 50. And as you just illustrated, some obvious decisive moments in the game as a result. So uh, really lovely scenes when Joel Selwood kicked that goal. That made it 81 points. And in fact, it got to 87 points, the game high margin. That was after Cameron's second goal uh, with just a, about two and a half minutes left on the clock by this stage. And then it was Tom Papley for the Swans who finally got on the board and uh, the final goal of this game, which pulled that margin back to 81 points, Papley kicked that with just 22 seconds, I think, remaining in the game. Uh, it was played out. The siren rang a massive roar for the Cats. Also, uh, just on that massive roar, massive roar because it was a massive crowd, 100,024, a massive grand final crowd. Wasn't it great? to see a packed MCG once again, first MCG grand final in three years. So that is the play-by-play -play stuff. Let's go over the final scores and then just have a look at some of the key stats. So those final scores again, Geelong, 2013, 133, 81-point victors over Sydney, 8-4-52. The goal, Stengel 4, Hawkins 3, Smith 3, Cameron 2, close 2, Singles the rest. For Sydney, just the one multiple goal kicker. That was Chad Warner with two. Individually, the Norm Smith medal, Isaac Smith, 32 disposals, three goals won by him, 771 metres gained, one <laughs> goal assist, five clearances. Uh, fantastic game by Isaac, who's now played in four premierships from five grand finals. It's a bloody good strike rate and uh, a very thoroughly deserved Norm Smith medal. Agree, Robert? Yeah, yeah, got the votes there. I was uh, obviously, um, I was hoping for De Koning being a member of the fullback cartel, but that was very, I think the last time happened was uh, Brian Lake gave a dominant display. Um, and uh, for the Hawks that year. and yeah, 20, um, 2013. Yeah, and... Um, so I was hoping that uh, that would – but uh, unfortunately for Sam DeConnie, the ball didn't get up there, Rowan. No, he didn't have uh, much to do in that. <laughs> I'm glad he half. got a vote. Michael uh, he, Mike Gleeson gave him a vote, I he, think. He did give him a vote. That is quite correct. Let's talk about the uh, runner-up in the Norm Smith medal, and that yeah. was Patrick Dangerfield. 27 disposals for Paddy, nine clearances, and like I said, the big stat for me, six Goal assists. It was a very, very selfless, team orientated game from Paddy. And uh, again, um, performing on the big stage, answering a lot of critics, and finally winning that 
elusive premiership medal. Fantastic conclusion to the season from him. Who are some of the other chief ball winners for the victors? Mitch Duncan, I mentioned earlier, just a steadying uh, midfield and, and defensive presence for the Cats. What a great player he's been now. And uh, interesting, his uh, 2011 premiership medal coming in only his second season, and he was one of the young guns of that side and now one of the old hands uh, in his next premiership. Uh, Joel Selwood, that 12-disposal first term, really setting up the Cats. He ended with 26 disposals. Mark Blitzarves, Mr. Uh, Mr. Fix-It, Mr. Play-Any-Sort-Of-Role, 23 disposals for him. Uh, Zach Tui, 21 disposals out of defence. Brad Close, really hard-working small forward, 18 disposals, two goals. And, of course, let's not forget the not just the recruit of the year in terms of uh, a senior experience recruit, but one of the best recruits from another club I can ever remember, Tyson Stengel, four goals, one for him, 15 disposals. He had three tackles. Uh, he won a clearance as well. Tom Hawkins, three goals, four that follows four goals, three in the preliminary. So seven goals, seven in the last two games of the season. Geez, he had he kicked straight. He might have been right up there in Norm Smith uh, voting. And he was my tip for the Norm Smith, Rob, as you mm. will remember. For the vanquished, uh, I, I think pretty clearly in the end, best player for the, the Swans had to be Chad Warner. He just kept plugging away all day. 29 disposals. 583 metres gained and 10 clearances for the Chad. What a good player he is, and he's going to be a good player for them for a long, long time. Robbie Fox tried really hard in defence, 26 disposals. Uh, boy, pretty slim pickings after those two, though. I guess James Rowbottom uh, had a crack. Yeah, yeah. Had a crack. Papley, uh, plenty of disposals without being uh, terribly damaging. Jake Lloyd. Well, you know, he got he got the disposals in his 200th game, but even by his standards, a pretty low disposal game. Uh, really sad 200th milestone game for him. Let's have a look at some of the team stats, and I'll just get your comment on anything that catches your eye here. So the Cats, in the end, almost 100 more disposals, 395 to Sydney's 304. Uh, the inside 50 count, well, if this doesn't say it all, 65 inside 50s to 32. They more than doubled Sydney's inside 50 count. That is telling indeed. The hitouts, again, decisive, 44 to 24 Geelong's way. Incredibly, perhaps, given the scoreboard, Sydney winning the clearance count, 37 to 33. But really... Counting for very little, Geelong doing far more with their stoppage wins and uh, turnover, intercept turnovers than the Swans were able to do with theirs. Here's another telling stat. Contested possessions. Geelong, Rob, winning the contested possession count by 41, 151 to 110. That is massive. Uncontested ball too. They won on the outside as well. And they won the uncontested ball count by 64. Another massive number. The marks, 124 to 62. The marks inside 50, 17 to 4. They've quadrupled them. And uh, like we said, the tackles inside 50, 19 to 10, have doubled them there. That is a shellacking in anyone's language, particularly in a grand final. Well, you've done well to summarise that because sometimes stats are misleading. Um, uh, one one stat that stood out was Isaac Smith. What was it? Seven hundred and something. That was outstanding. Seven hundred and seventy-one metres. Metres, yeah. Like the contested possession, uncontested possession, inside and outside game superior, and it just shows you the the value of a great team defence that they can hold a team like Sydney to 32 inside 50s. I just want to touch on one thing. There would be very few sides in the competition that had the luxury of Menangola, Parfit, O'Connor with Holmes out injured, Not if Holmes was playing, not in the original side, Rowan. Mm. Uh, so you mentioned they did have these players to call on, but also their player management, their list management throughout the year. I know they've got good team and they do have a luxury and they can handpick games. Selwood had a couple of rests. Duncan had a couple of rests. Dangerfield had rests, didn't he? 
uh, Stewart got suspended, so he had a month off. That was fortuitous in a way. Cameron did a hamstring, so he gets a rest, didn't he, for three or four weeks. I'm not sure. Can you remember if Hawkins had a rest, Ron? Or does he? Uh, uh, not off the top of my head. No, no. I can't either. So, you know, uh, I reckon Guthrie had a spell too. They, they just had the capacity and the depth on their list to be able to give these players time off. And I reckon the one that got the benefit the most from that was Dangerfield. You summed up his fault. I, I, I've seen him play so much more brilliant stuff. I've never seen him play better, if that makes sense. It was a beautifully all-rounded game, nothing spectacular, two amazingly consistent, strong finals games, and he, and he looked like he could go again, Ryan. He didn't have a hair out of place, mate. Did he he <laughs> well, actually didn't. That much, that much gel in his hair before the game, it never moved. Well, have a look at my Twitter account, Rob. I actually I, I couldn't help myself. I did some selfie work in the rooms afterwards, and there's a shot of oh, me. Well. With, there's a shot of me with Tomahawk. There's a shot of me with Patty, and there's a shot of me with Eddie Betts. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I decided to go groupy for some reason. I thought, <laughs> good on I you. Well, I thought I haven't got enough memorabilia of me with all these guys I've been mingling with for forty years. It's about time I did. So uh, yeah, it was uh, no, it was a great. Gee, you've missed a few. You've well, missed some few, haven't you? I have. Wow, it, it was oh, uh, it was a great atmosphere down the Geelong rooms, and so many people down there that have worked so hard for success. And in fact, that's a nice little segue because I think we should finish this review off by talking about what lies ahead for both this cl- both these clubs. Now, it's been a really hard slog for the Cats, and uh, I'm just so full of admiration for them the way they've just kept backing up and backing up taking all those disappointments on the chin. They just keep saddling up year after year, 11 years since their last premiership. They'd lost five preliminary finals and a grand final. There's been at least three or if not four times over that journey when most of us, and I put my hand up, have said, well, that's it, you know, time to rebuild. What they have managed to do, though, is rebuild whilst remaining in contention. And uh, it's an absolute credit to Stephen Wells on the one hand for recruiting the right guys at the bottom end of the age spectrum, but also uh, to Chris Scott and the coaching panel and Stephen Wells for buying in and picking the right uh, experience recruits from other clubs. And and who, well, it's pretty obvious who we're talking about there. We're talking about most recently, Jeremy Cameron and Isaac Smith. Uh, we're talking about going back further, the likes of uh, Zach Tui. We're talking about Gary Rowan, uh, Paddy Dangerfield, of course, coming across in 2016 and winning a Brownlow first up. Reece Stanley back in 2015. He is now a premiership player and giving them good value in the ruck. Now, they've continued to top up and got older and older to the point, Robert, where today's side was not only the oldest grand final side in history, it is, I'm told reliably, the oldest side in football history took the field today. There were 10 players older than 30 playing in this premiership lineup. Now, I asked Chris Scott a lot about this at length at the press conference because I'm just so fascinated by it. They have resolutely swum against the tide and they have come up trumps. They have rewritten, I think, the rule book on how you go about winning a premiership and how you put a list together and how you maintain a list. And uh, I think we're going to see sides getting older. And I think that's a good thing. I think we'll see fewer players consigned to the scrap heap. I think we'll see younger players developed better and not thrown to the wolves. And perhaps that will uh, not only prolong a few careers, but it might save a few careers earlier on too, because guys are given the time they need to develop. So I don't see any reason, to be honest, despite this being the Everest climb for the Cats, why it all has to end here. I I think they're quite capable of going on and winning more. What do you think? Well, what I think is those sides that are mired in in mediocrity, Rome, will do the old thing. They will go and copy Geelong and they will fall on their their backsides again because this is a unique system, unique to Geelong. Others will copy and others will fail. You have to be true to yourself. They have made a plan. They have stuck to their plan. And um, I love the way you summarise that. But I've got a quote here that I wrote down. It's not the players you recruit. It's the environment you put them in. Mm. And, uh, they okay, it is the players you recruit. 
but more so, you know, players want to go there. Yeah. Um, and a lot, they've, they've missed, looks like they've missed Taranto and Hopper. Yeah. Right? But they're going to get young, uh, the young local boy, uh, Bruin. They're going to get him. So, and they'll find an experienced player. Um, we we don't know about Selwood yet. Higgins is going. Uh, he's retired. Um, but have a look at the young. You know, uh, will Menegola go round again after missing a grand final? We look to go to another club. Pa- you got Parfit O'Connor and um, Holmes that technically Rowan were the last three players picked. One of yep. course missed out. Yeah. So. They've got the youth to coming through, and there is no way known I can see them uh, slipping out of the top four next year. All right, well, let's talk about the opposition because I yep. think uh, a really disappointing day for Sydney, but you'd be silly to think that the future for this side is anything but bright because some of these young players, and yeah, we're banged on about them, but gee, they've been good. Chad Warner has just got better and better and better. Justin McInerney, yeah, look, faded away a bit and no doubt disappointing in the grand final, but he's got a great future. Look, Buddy Franklin, uh, he's won more, as he uh, tweeted or put on Instagram the other day. So uh, he's going on with it. Of course, Josh Kennedy retiring, and what a fantastic career he's had. Uh, be interesting to see what happens with the likes of Sam Reid, uh, Tom Hickey, Dane Rampey, still a pretty important player for them, I think. Luke Parker, still an outstanding player for them. He'll turn 30 before the next uh, start of next season. Uh, who else is in that older age bracket? Robbie Fox, uh, this might surprise some people. He's 29 and a half. Uh, Jake Lloyd, 29. Uh, Harry Cunningham, we uh, didn't see him towards the end of the season. He's uh, approaching... 29. So uh, they've got plenty of older players in that side, but uh, it's the young players that are really exciting there. And uh, I think they've got a good few years ahead of them. Robert, are you confident about the Swans' future? We were confident at the start of the year, allow me to say that. Um, There's no doubt about that. And they've had a terrific year. Um, Should they be judged on their grand final performance? Not in particular. it does happen, Rowan, and they uh, they met a far superior side, but they've had an outstanding year. Uh, the difference to me is the oldest team in the competition in the history, right, allowed their younger players to feel comfortable and to flourish. We, we spoke about this in our preview. It would be the key to the game was how the young players of both sides adapted uh, to the pressure of the grand final. And I've given my reason why the Geelong side did it better than Sydney. And I thought it was a great learning experience for these younger players that have been round a while, but um, they learned a lot. So they're going to come back and uh, they'll recruit hard. They're a good footy club. Uh, Horse didn't have a good game himself, I don't think, John Longmore, uh, but that happens. And... Um, They'll be, they'll be in the mix again. All right. Well, that is an appropriate note on which to conclude this review of the 2022 Grand Final. Congratulations to Geelong on their 10th VFL slash AFL Premiership. 81-point victors over the Swans. Those final scores again, Geelong 2013-133, defeating Sydney 8-4. 52. Thanks for your company, everyone. Uh, hope there's some happy cat fans out there. And uh, hopefully those words just before from Robert Shaw about the Swans. Swans fans give you plenty of hope for the future. And, of course, fans of everyone else, well, we all start equal again at the start of twenty. 20- we don't really. We don't really. Well, don't. <laughs> let's, let's give them some optimism to right. uh, get through summer with um, – I uh, just want to say thanks for your support again, everyone. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, we uh, thank our wonderful sponsors, uh, Palmerbet. Uh, you get tackle-busting benefits all this season with Palmerbet. Uh, thanks to Bluebet also who have been on board for the last uh, five or six weeks of this season. Thanks to all our devoted listeners. And i uh, got to say, Robert, just walking into the MCG today, uh, Quite a number of people 
came up to me and uh, said how much they enjoy the Footyology podcast. So you know who you are. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Uh, if you want to support us financially, you can continue to do that at the ACAST supporter page. And there's a link to that in the show description, wherever you're listening to us or become a Footyology patron via Patreon, a wonderful supporter of independent publishing, journalism, writing, and media. And uh, there are links to that all over the Footyology website, footyology.com.au. I want to say a very special thank you to you, Mr. Shaw, because you came on board for this year at uh, pretty short notice. Thank you. And you have been absolutely wonderful. And I'm quite serious here. It's not like I've always got that smart-arsy tone, but I'm being quite serious the number of people who've said to me they really value your knowledge and your contribution. Yes, you occasionally mangle the odd surname like Inzaman Ulhak or uh, Jamara Inzanam Ulhagen or whatever you call him, but uh, that's all part of the fun. And um, fortunately, <laughs> when I tease you about that, we're in different locations, so you can't give me a clip over the ear. But um, it's it's all good fun. But look, in all seriousness, um, we all are very appreciative of your knowledge of the game and your ability to dissect it. Uh, it's fantastic, and it has really added to this podcast. So thank you. Get uh, on your own. Very much. Uh, now, um, anything you want to add just quickly? No, no I've enjoyed it. It is uh, – it's not as easy as it uh, appears, folks. You know, you hear us an hour a week or a couple of times a week, um, and uh, I was delighted. You know, find he's a great friend of mine. We go back on SEN, and when Rowan rang me, um, but it's it's not the easiest thing to do to be across and to watch nine games of footy when you've got a life to live. <laughs> but uh, uh, gee, I tell you what, the season went quick. And it was very enjoyable. It was a great season. Uh, we didn't get the blockbuster we hoped for in the grand final, but uh, thanks to everyone for listening and thank you for your support and asking me to come on board, Rowan. Now can I go fishing? You, you can, but actually you just hit on a really good point because we should say this. It has been an outstanding season. Yeah. In fact, tonight in the rooms, uh, I, I did have a quick chat to Steve Hocking and uh, I said, congratulations. And, of course, he's so used to copying it from his time in the AFL that he assumed I was being sarcastic, but I was being very genuine. I said to him, congratulations in being CEO of this uh, premiership winning side, but also congratulations on the rule changes. Cause I think those rule changes have helped make the game a better spectacle. And I think the proof was in the pudding this year. It was a really good year of footy. And uh, I think we've all enjoyed it a lot. Now, as to the footyology podcast, uh, it's a work in progress, people, and uh, don't say anything at this point, Rob, because uh, we don't know exactly what's going to happen here. But no. uh, I think uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. But I, I don't think uh, we're necessarily going to go into hibernation for that long. I think we might be able to do something. So there's plans afoot, but we are going to have at least a couple, if not three weeks off. So um, that'll be it for us for just this little time in the immediate future but uh, I will keep people posted on what's going on look out for that news about the podcast on Twitter or uh, wherever you digest the footyology podcast but that is it for now I uh, hope everyone has really enjoyed this wonderful season congratulations again to the Geelong Football Club premiers of the AFL in 2022 we'll see you later <laughs>